0: take it out and make your. And what's the Ottoman Empire's kind of on? In the middle of the battle. And on this day, uh, there was this battle occurring. And in the middle of the battle, the guy who was kind of over all the British people, his name was Lord Raglan. And he had found him some high ground somewhere where he'd kind of look out and see what was going on. And so he's looking around and seeing what's going on. And as he's doing that, he watches as these Russian troops are moving on this kind of abandoned fort Right over the ridgeline of this valley, and they're taking all the the guns and they're taking them back to their side. And so Lord Raglan can see what's going on, but you got all these British troops down in the valley, they can't quite see what's going on. And so eventually Lord Raglan's orders makes it through this kind of incompetent chain of command back to this dude named Lord Cardigan. And Lord Cardigan is over the cavalry. These people aren't super heavily armed, so they called him the Light Brigade. And he told Lord, uh, Lord Cardigan, who's over to the Light Brigade, he said, hey, uh, the, the, the order pretty much by this point in time was, go see if you can get them guns over there, straight ahead, in a hurry, do it now. And Lord Cardigan's sitting there, and again, this, uh, this guy who's giving the orders is way up on the hill, removed from this battle. He don't, he don't see things quite the same way that Lord Cardigan's seeing it. But when Lord Cardigan gets his orders, he's sitting there looking at the end of the valley. And at the end of the valley, there's a Russian fort, where they got all their cannons, all their guns. They're loaded for bear, ready to go at the opposite end of this valley. On both sides of the valley, on the ridgelines, you've got Russians who are armed, ready to go. And he thinks the order is, you want me to go down there? He didn't. He wanted him to go up on the hill. He, but he thinks, go down there. Russians, loaded for bear, ready to go into the valley. You want me to take my 600 guys, and you want me to, you want me to ride down there and see if I can get those? Guns. So, he gives it a shot. In the next 20 minutes, in the 110 casualties and 143 wounded, have best been remembered by this poem, or at least these few stanzas of this poem. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade, charged for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death, rode the 600. The 600. Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew. Someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death. Rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell. Bolied the rode and well. Into the jaws of death. Into the mouth of hell. Rode the 600. A courageous group of guys. Guys who were willing to go and be faithful at any and all cost. But for no reason. For very little reason. It wasn't, it wasn't based in any real sense of hope. They just thought that's what they were supposed to go and do. they went and did it. There's a lot of things that are different between you and the light brigade this morning as you sit here, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, and one of those many differences is you've got a reason. You've actually got hope. If you were here last week, we're going to address this again, but if you were here last week, I, you heard Jesus say, it's tough out there. In the light brigade, as they go down the storm the valley, that, like, they know it's tough. They know it's costly. They know it's going to come with with great, great issues to them. You're not going to take 600 guys through that valley and bring 600 of them back. Like, they know it's costly. They know it's going to be tough. And they saddle up and they go anyway. Without reason. You're different. You've got a reason. You've got lots of reasons. Let's read our text this morning and we'll hop in. 26 through the end of the chapter. Jesus speaking. So have no fear of them. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. Whatever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me, not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will. Well, receive even a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, again, as we approach uh, this text, it's a text that challenges us. It's a text that stretches us. So, Lord, instead of shrinking back, instead of recoiling from this hard word, Lord, we pray that we would lean into it, that we would let your work, we would invite your work. we would be receptive of your your word doing a work in us, that we would be changed and transformed to be more like Jesus because of our time in this word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Jesus starts with so. So have no fear of them. And again, like, I don't, I don't want you to... We, we took a week break, but Jesus didn't take a week break. Like, he's picking up exactly where he left off last week. And last week, he had spent verses 16 through 25. If you were here, you remember this. If not, you can skim it real quick. And what he said was, it's tough out there. It's going to come with a cost to follow me. You will have to endure lots of things to follow me. And if you want to be saved, you're going to have to endure those things in order to continue to be my disciple, in order to be delivered. This morning... He starts from that foundation and says, so, or therefore, have no fear of them. It's tough out there, but don't be afraid of them. And again, before we, as we hop in this morning, I'll give you this caveat. I don't think Jesus is intending to say like you can never have any apprehension or your palms shake a little bit or you get a little, you're a little sweaty when you look at what's coming down to you. He's just saying, fear of man must never trump faithfulness to God. And he doesn't just say that. He's actually going to give you five reasons. I just want to highlight five reasons from the text we just read this morning why you do not have to let a fear of man or the fear of the earthly consequences you could run into or have to endure keep you from being faithful to God. Five reasons. Here we go. First one's in verses 26 and 27. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Reason number one, because you've got a job to do. Don't fear them because you've got a job to do. Here, here's your job. There's stuff that's covered and it's going to be revealed. And there's stuff that's hidden and it's going to be made known. And, and how, how's that going to happen? Verse 27, when I tell you in the dark, you y'all disciples say that in the light and what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops so what what I Jesus have revealed to you disciples your job is to make that known it's your job to take that and to share that and to spread that you say Thomas are we supposed to take that literally would you would you do it if I told you you were you don't have to. I'm not going to get on a housetop. I'm not going to get on top of the church. I'm not going any... You just need to think about Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, it's your business as my disciples to make sure that this message I'm sharing, other people hear it. I've shared it with you. You've, you've freely received it, so freely give it. Go and take it. Go and make sure that other people hear this message I've entrusted to you. Every time I start to think like, man, I'm talking a lot about evangelism. I look at this book and it's like, talk about it more. Talk about it more. Like, guys, I can't get away from this. We have a job to do. This is basic, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, 40-hour week for a living Christianity. It's that you would be a person who's looking around in your life saying, where do I have an opportunity? Where can I share Who do I have a relationship with? Who can I pour into? Where can I create an opportunity? Where can I create a relationship to use to share the gospel? Brothers and sisters, this is our business. Jesus was in the business of taking the message of his kingdom, the good news of his kingdom, and proclaiming it to the world. He came preaching and teaching that message. Jesus was saying as he comes preaching, hey, look. Repent and believe because the kingdom of God has come to bear in me. Like everything that matters for God's plan being fulfilled is right here, right now in front of you. And it's me. That was Jesus' message. Brothers and sisters, we now know the end of that message. We, We know like how the whole thing was finished. We actually can come and look people in the face and say, here's the deal. There's a God. Who created you? He hadn't just created you. He's actually been gracious enough to reveal himself to you. He's he's actually crying out to you saying, seek me. Look for me. And here's the problem right now is you've actually sinned against him and you've broken that relationship with him. He created you, but now you've separated yourself from him by your sin. And he's not just a God who's created you and owns you. He's also a God who's just. And he always does the right thing. And the right thing for him to do when he looks on a sinner like you is to condemn you. But the good news, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim and establish is that in Jesus, God's doing a new work where actually he's sending his son to live and to die in the place of sinners just like you. And he did that. He lived and he died and he just died. He rose in the place and on behalf of sinners just like you. And as many as will turn from their sin and put their trust in him will be saved. This is our job, church. This is the message we've been given, church. So I just just want to ask you, do you know that message? Do you know that message, God's plan of salvation? Do you know that message well enough to do your job? Jesus says, go, hand it out. Go, proclaim it on the housetops. What I've revealed to you, make make it revealed to other people. Make it known to them. Do you know it well enough to do that? If you don't, uh, we've got great resources for you. There's laminated sheets in the back. Great place to start. There's little black books on the bookshelf back there. Great place to start. I'm a resource through your generosity to pay me a living wage. You can get on my calendar. I can take you out of lunch this week. If you don't know the gospel well enough to share it, you want to talk about how to share the gospel, let's do it. Get on my calendar. Let's do it. I would love to do it. But brothers and sisters, we got to do it. We've got a we got a job to do. We can't shrink back from doing that job. And if we continue on, the word of the Lord actually assures us, like there will be a reward for it. Galatians six nine says, "Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up." Again, I'm encouraged, and I want you to continue to hear this, like. We're doing this well. We're off to a good start. It's been a good year. We're having people have gospel conversations every week, and we get to pray about those together on Wednesday night, and I'm so, so grateful for that. I got to see this with my own eyes this week. Our people doing a better job of stepping up, sharing, articulating the gospel, actually helping people think through what God has said about how men must be saved. But let's not grow weary. Keep doing it. And if we keep doing it, in good season, we'll get a reward. And the reward that me and you will get will be that we'll get to look around this community or we'll get to look around at our family and our friends, our coworkers, people the Lord puts in our lives. And we'll actually have front row seats as the Lord does this work of giving new hearts to people and putting his spirit in people and causing them to turn from darkness and walk in the light. That's a pretty great reward. That's about the best reward we can get this side of heaven. And we're actually storing up treasures for ourselves on that day as well. So, brothers and sisters, the first reason you shouldn't be intimidated to let this fear of man keep you from being obedient to God is because you've got a job to do. Reason number two pick up in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Reason number two, uh, do not fear because this is what's coming to you if you let the fear of man keep you from faithfulness. It's pretty simple logic. You're going to fear somebody. You're going to fear God or you're going to fear man. And Jesus says, here's what you need to know about man. Man who you look at like this carnal man, this man of the world who hates you, hates what you stand for, hates this gospel that you preach. Here's what he's got the power to do. He can kill you. He can kill your body. He can, he can cause you to have a bodily death. But here's this God whom you're commanded to fear. He can holistically kill you. He can kill your body now. He can kill your soul forever in hell. Eternally tormented, physically and spiritually. So if you look at the situation and you say, man, I'm really, 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 really scared of these people, you're kind of being nonsensical because God's saying don't be scared of these people and they can just kill your body. God's saying I can kill you forever, body and soul nonsensical to let a fear of man overwhelm our fear of the Lord that would drive us to be faithful. But there's more. I want you to hop down uh, to verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus says, before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me, this is Jesus, before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Brothers and sisters, like when we're talking about fear of the Lord and fear of man, I just want you to be aware, Jesus presenting those things is mutually exclusive. That means if you got one, you don't have the other. So you're going to plant your flag in one of those two places. You might can Jesus is, he's not shrinking away from this like you can die, all those earthly consequences he talked about last week, somebody going to die. Like they're still on the line. But he says if you want to plant your flag with the world, just realize you don't have me. If you're going to plant your flag with me, just realize it's going to come with some cost in the world. You can look at those costs and say you don't want to pay those costs. That's fine, but let's just call it what it is. Go and get the world. But don't think you're going to have Jesus standing on your side when your time comes. It's dangerous. It's hard culture to try to navigate that in. Like I know the air y'all breathe because it's the same air that I breathe. I grew up in this context. I get it. I know you've heard People like Kenny Chesney sing and tell you about how he really wants to go to heaven, but he's just having too much fun with the women and whiskey right here right now to be worried about going there. I know you heard Zach Brown band tell you they ain't no hurry either. I know you heard Morgan Wallen sing about how much he loves the Bible, how he just ain't really interested in living it out. And you say, preacher, don't go messing with that music. That's good music. It might be good music. I'll let you be the judge of whether it's good music. I'm just telling you it's bad doctrine. I'm just telling you as the guy that you pay to study and teach the Bible, that I've studied and looked at the Bible and taught a lot of the Bible, and I can't find it nowhere. Like, we ain't come across that yet, where I can want the things of this world, and I can want to do what I want to do, but turn around and act like I've got Jesus. Jesus says that that ain't it. You can either acknowledge me and lose the world, or you can keep the world, but you ain't going to have me. Yeah, but Thomas, I walked the aisle, I said a prayer, I got baptized once upon a time, once upon a time I did that, once upon a time it was me. We can just call it what it sounds like. That's fairytale Christianity. Biblical Christianity says it's either I plant my flag and I'm all in with Jesus, or I don't plant my flag and I get consumed by the things of the world. The cares of the world, deceitfulness the of riches, they overwhelm me and choke me out as Matthew 13 will be there in a couple of weeks. Jesus is very... Very consistent about that. You can avoid the cost. But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you Jesus. And it's going to cost you eternally. Reason number two. Don't fear. Because there will be hell to pay if you do. Reason number three. Let's hop back up to verse 29. The little section we skipped. Here's what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Reason number three, don't fear. Because the Lord is in control and the Lord cares for you. When we're talking about sparrows. We're talking about like the smallest bird that you could have imagined in the ancient Near East. Not a very substantial bird. Uh, even at that point in time, it seems to be that some of the poorest people in that society would actually like buy them and eat them. They're actually having to eat sparrows. And if you say, wow, that really doesn't sound super appetizing to me to have to eat a sparrow, you're in a good position to understand what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is saying, even as undesirable as it would be to, to eat a sparrow or to be served a sparrow, he's in control of them. You got this animal you could look at, and you say, honey, what's for dinner? And she says sparrow, and you say, I think I'll swing by John the Baptist jail cell, see if he's got any locusts left over. That's how how underwhelming these sparrows are. And Jesus says, the Lord's in control of them. Like, there's never been a sparrow that's died apart from your Father's will. He's in control. Be comforted. He's got the situation within his framework. It doesn't surprise him. You can't make this type of stuff up. I don't know if it was a sparrow. I'm not one of those bird watcher people. I don't know. But all I know is I was coming down to Sutton Springs this morning, leaving my house. And about the time you get to the bridge, I, there was two birds flew out. One of them hit the top of the Ford. The Lord knew that. The Lord's in control of that. Like, the Lord's aware that that little tiny bird, I guess it died, presumably. I, it, it was 60 miles an hour on top of my car. Like, probably dead. And the Lord says, that's not outside of my purview. Like, I'm sovereign over that. I'm, I'm in control. I knew about that. do not catch me off guard. And Jesus' logic is, so let's talk about you. Because let's talk about hair. If you got hair, you, you, you know that we got lots of hairs. If you got hair on your head, you're aware there's a lot of hairs on your head. There's so many hairs on your head that the average person loses between 50 and 100 hairs a day, and we can't even tell the difference when we look at each other. Like, you won't wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, man, I lost 57 hairs last night. You, you can't tell. You've got so many. Dermatologists tell us you've got 100,000 follicles of hair on your head itself. That's a lot of hairs. And Jesus says, yep, and the Lord knows about all of them. He's got them all numbered. All 100,000 of them, for every person ever who's got hair, he knows. Like, he's aware. And if, he's a, if that's how intimately he knows you, If you're actually so valuable to him that he would stop and count your hairs and number them and know them and be in control of them, why would you fear? He's in control of sparrows. Like sparrows don't go down without him being aware and him being concerned and him being invested. What about you? The The hairs on your head are numbered. Jesus's point is that the Lord is in control. And he cares for you. Why would you fear? I want to clarify that. I, I do not mean that that doesn't mean hardship or persecution is coming to you. It just means the Lord is in control of it and he cares for you as you go through it. Because we read Romans eight seventeen this morning. I don't know if you are listening or not. It said provided you suffer. So it's not saying suffering is not coming. It's saying it is coming. Like it definitely will come. You definitely will have Persecution in your life. If anybody wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. We read that to the other week. And while you face it, while you walk through it, whatever that means for you, maybe maybe things stay like they do right now and it's just you getting attacked on social media for sharing a I don't know. Or maybe it gets real. And either way, here's what you need to know: the Lord's totally and completely in control of it. And the Lord cares for you. If a sparrow can't even go down without God being invested and concerned, How about you? He's got your hairs number. That's your third reason. Don't fear because the Lord's in control and he cares for you. Reason number four, pick up in verse 34. Do not think that I come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me, not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find. Reason number four, don't fear because you don't live for you anymore. This is not about you anymore. Jesus starts with family. We talked about family last week. I warned you last week, we'd be talking about family again. And Jesus just very consistently, like he did last week, makes the same point. The family of faith always trumps the family bloodline every single time. You, don't, you can't spend this thing to say that Jesus is anti-family. That dog won't hunt. You read the whole Bible, you hold it together. Like, nope, Jesus clearly doesn't have a problem with a family. He's got a problem with anybody or anything meaning more to you or having more of your loyalty than he does. He's very, very clear on that. He, he goes so far as to say that he actually has set up this friction. Like he knows he's the reason for the friction because he says, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter in law against her mother in law, person's enemies be those of his own household. Like Jesus knows that the disagreement about him about where we stand with Jesus will divide even the most intimate, most close family relationships that you have. And Jesus is just saying, when it comes down to your family, the closest people you can think of versus me, guess where you've got to go? Me. You've got to ride with me. You've got to be all in with me. And that means even if the closest people you can imagine won't friction over that or won't deal with that, won't tolerate that, or will disown you for that, You got to go with me that's not that's not imaginary maybe for a lot of you people were excited when you put your trust in the lord again we don't even have to go foreign to see this like in our own country there are people who get converted and their families disown them i don't want anything to do with it. i don't want want anything to do with you and jesus is just saying when it comes down to me versus your family you got to go with me the closest relationship you can think of jesus says i got to be closer and the principle really is right here for you. Taking up your cross. Like taking up your cross is what it means to be a Christian. Taking up a, a cross, that, that's, not, that's not the way we think a cross is. It's not, it's not decorative. It's not something that we put out to say we're Christians. It's not a necklace we wear. It's not a ring. It's not jewelry. It's not a t-shirt. In the ancient world, it meant die. This is how you die. It's an instrument of death and embarrassment. Not just death, but death in a humiliating way. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, what you got to do? It's, it's, that's not isolated in the New Testament. You read Romans 6, 3 and 4. You've been buried with Jesus in lightness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. When we baptize people, we're saying something new just happened. Or we're representing something new. That has happened. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. Behold, the new has come. Jesus never gets away from that. The New Testament authors never get away from that. The apostles are very well aware of that. To be a Christian is for someone to have died and for your life now to be wrapped up in Christ. Brothers and sisters, have you done that? Have you actually died to sin and been raised to walk in this newness of life, totally and completely sold out to Christ Jesus, not living for you, but everything in your life filtering through him? Unfortunately, again, we're we're in a culture where there's lots of attempts to try to redefine that. There's lots of attempts to try to redefine biblical Christianity saying the disciples' life, is tied to Jesus and runs through Jesus because John's talking about he's like a vine and we're like the branches. If he's the vine and we're the branches, everything that goes on in our lives has to get filtered through him. It's checked with him. We have his perspective. We're trying to renew our minds so that we think in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And then you've got this culture that says, uh, we're just going to try to live normal lives and we're going to try to tag Jesus onto it. And we'll call that Christianity. I would say I don't know why it's been redefined that way, but I know exactly why it's been redefined that way. Because it's easy. Because it's convenient. Because you get to do what you want to do, and you can still sleep good at night because you can call yourself a Christian because everybody else you know does that. But I just want to run this through a biblical framework, guys. If you do that, if you're the one determining where Jesus does and doesn't have control, Jesus isn't Lord, you're the Lord. You're like, We're like our first parents, Adam and Eve, saying we'd kind of say we'd like to be God. And we kind of think we'll do what we want to do, and we'll listen to God when it's convenient for us, and we won't when we don't. It's really easy to see that, people like us, in the cult of tolerance, right? You look, you look outside, you look at the cult of tolerance, and we see all these people who are being really, really soft on sin, With the excuse being, we just all got to love each other. We just all want to love each other. We just all want to tolerate each other. That's the biblical thing to do. That's the faithful thing to do. It's easy for us, people like us, to look and say, they've made their own religion. That's not Christianity. They're doing their own thing. They're the lords of that system. But here's my concern. My concern is that we're unaware that there's lots of conservative people claiming to be Christians who are doing the same thing. The root issue at the end of the day is not that we're soft. The root issue at the end of the day is that people want to tell Jesus where he can and can't be Lord. And you got plenty of conservative people claiming to be Christians that are doing that as well. I'll give you an example. Just this week, there's a documentary that came out. There's a documentary is getting to the exact point, right? Are there lots of churches in America that are soft? Yeah. Are we soft as a culture? Yeah. Has that crept into the church? Yeah, I'll concede all that. There's this documentary that's just come out that's trying to make that exact same point and I watched a guy this week give a review of that movie and he's all fired up about it I mean he loved it he was just like man we got all these soft churches and this is the problem in the world and this is this and boom 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 I mean he's just all over he loves it churches are soft churches are soft we got all these soft churches we got all these soft pastors that won't stand up and preach the bible just going at it and you're like man that's great that's great that's great amen that's right yeah, all this stuff it gets you all fired up and then here's a the summary statement it ended the video, this is a concluding statement. This is what he says. He says, we need to stand on the word of God at all times, you know. I did not say you need to be in church and on the front pew every single week because God knows I'm not. I miss a lot of weeks for travel baseball. But where's your heart? Where do you draw the line? And that's the question I'd like to ask. Where, where do you draw the line? I'd like to ask him, where, where, do, you, where do you draw the line? But I'd like to actually push it back and say, you don't get to draw the line. Because you died to Christ. You're done. You've died to self. And the life you now live is wrapped up in Christ Jesus. So that's great that you want to claim Jesus when he's convenient for the little uh, segment of the social media battalion that you fight in in the culture war. That's great. But how about when, he, when you wake up on Sunday morning and he's saying, mine. I own it. I'm the Lord of it. It belongs to me. Read Hebrews 10 if you don't believe me. That's mine. Don't mess with, don't mess with it. And he says, we going to go play baseball. Why, why do you think you're different? The root problem isn't people soft and not soft. The root problem is you want to tell Jesus where he's king at and where he's not king at. And if there's anywhere in your life you're telling Jesus he ain't king, you don't know Jesus the way Jesus says you need to know Jesus. Jesus is Lord. It's, it's true. And you can either submit to that or not submit to that. But whichever side of the culture war you want to get on, just be aware, we got people who are trying to draw their own lines. And for you to put your trust in Christ, for you to take up your cross and follow Jesus, is you saying, I have died to the right to draw lines. I will not be the person who draws lines. Jesus will draw the lines. It will not be about what makes the most sense to me. It's going to be about what makes the most sense to Jesus. It's not about what I think. It's about what Jesus thinks. It's not about what makes me feel comfortable. It's about what Jesus says it means to be faithful. Brothers and sisters, that's biblical Christianity. That's not like radical Christianity. That's normal. Jesus defined Christianity. Don't fear. Because you don't live for you anymore. And reason number five, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Reason number five, why you shouldn't fear. You shouldn't fear. Because what people do to you, they are really doing to me. So says Jesus. He says, whoever receives you receives me. You're my ambassador. That's true of you too, right? If your trust is in Christ, the Bible says you're one of God's, you're an, you're an ambassador for Christ Jesus. And so if people receive you, what they're doing they're receiving me. And this reception implies like accepting, accepting the teaching that you're, you're bringing. And if you receive me, Jesus says, guess, what, guess who you get? The Father. You receive me, you receive the one who sent me, because Jesus is gonna say I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Except through me. You want God? God come through Jesus. And Jesus says, If you get receive one who I send, you receive me, and if you receive me, you get the Father. Now, the same thing's true with the prophet. Somebody receives a prophet because he's a prophet. He gets a prophet's reward or a prophet's inheritance. He's going to share in the prophet's inheritance. Same thing with a righteous person. You receive a righteous person because he is a righteous person. He's come in Jesus' name as a righteous person. You're going to share in his inheritance. You actually represent Jesus. Disciples, you you represent me. And, And here's the level that it actually goes down to. Verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones... Even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, will truly, I say to you, he by no means lose his reward. Probably a couple questions we need to answer before we make our point here. Little ones, they're disciples, right? These little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple. Little ones are being used for disciples. Jesus will use that a good bit throughout the Gospels. And his point when he's doing that is the same thing as the sheep last week. Dependence, like radical dependence. Little ones, I'm talking about children right now. You don't have to like convince them they're dependent. Like when I was 8 or 10 or 12, and let's imagine I tore through a pair of shoes because that was something I was prone to do. I need a new pair of shoes because my foot's growing too fast and i have grown out of them every few months or I keep getting into things that aren't exactly good for the longevity of my footwear. What I didn't do when I was 8 or 10 or 12 is hop in the car, run down to the mall. We did go to the mall back then, but I didn't run down to the mall myself and go there and whip out my debit card, pick out some shoes, pay for them, head back to the house. When I was 8 or 10 or 12, I said, Mom, Dad, I need a new pair of shoes. I can't get there. I can't pay for them. I, I, can't, I can do none of the things I need to do to acquire a pair of shoes. When I was 8 or 10 or 12. I, I didn't. I got hungry. I didn't get in the car and go to the grocery store and fill up the cart and come back and cook myself dinner. I didn't do that. I didn't hop in and go down to Empire because it was Dollar Wing night. I didn't do that. I said, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. I got something to eat. Can fix me something to eat. I, I didn't pretend that I was independent. When I was 8 or 10 or 12. Disciples, you're not, you're not independent. You are radically dependent on Jesus. As you go as Jesus' ambassadors, you go in radical dependence on him. And if you go in radical dependence on him, guess who you represent when you get there? Him. Jesus. And, and, and it's so true, like that metaphor carries so far down the line that Jesus says, if they'll give you a cup of cold water, I'll make note of it. Cold water is not a lot different than it is now. Like This is like the most common courtesy you can do for somebody, especially a visitor in the ancient Near East, a cup of cold water. It's the same in our society. Any half-decent restaurant will give you a free cup of water, right? You go to a coffee shop, if it's a half-decent coffee shop, they'll give you a complimentary cup of water. Just sitting there in a the cooler ready for you to get free, cup of cold water. It's the most minuscule thing you can do for somebody. And Jesus's point is even if they do that, I'll take note. That's how invested I am in what happens to you. What people do to you they're ultimately doing to me. They might as well do it to me. So here's the comfort, brothers and sisters. When people sin against you, they're really sinning against Jesus. When people persecute you, they're really persecuting Jesus. When you come in Jesus' name, doing the type of things that Jesus would be okay and endorse you doing, what people turn around and do to you, that's their problem with him. He's got your back. Because you go, as you go in radical dependence on him, you represent him. gives you the freedom you need to be faithful. Faithful even if it means you have to do and to die. You've got five reasons this morning. Five reasons we've just covered. For why you shouldn't be quick to make reply. You shouldn't want to sit back and reason why. You should be willing to saddle up and ride even if it means you have to do and to die. Because the Lord of glory is invested in what you do with your faithfulness to Him. You say, well, that sounds like good news. It is good news, but I, I just want to point this out to you. It's really exclusive good news. It's only good news for the one who will acknowledge Jesus, it's only good news for the one who actually plant their flag with Jesus in the face of hardship. In the face of persecution, in the face of come what may, I'm here with Jesus. I'm standing with Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. I'm submitted to Jesus. If something comes along that would compromise that, that is not now good news for you. Jesus will not be on your side of the courtroom as it were. He said, the text says, if you deny him, he will deny you. That's what it says. We all love that text, Second Timothy chapter 2, where we, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's, that's true. That's there. Just read around it. It also says if we deny him, he also will deny us. Those things are held in tension. And Jesus right here says, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before the Father." So brothers and sisters, will, will you acknowledge Jesus? Will you acknowledge Jesus in the face of? Of hardship? Will you acknowledge Jesus even if it comes at a great cost? Will you acknowledge Jesus if it costs you friends? Will you acknowledge Jesus if it costs you relationships with your family? You acknowledge Jesus if, if the culture gets to a point where it costs you your job? Will you, you either got to be faithful to Jesus or you got to get a new job. Will, will you be faithful to Jesus? What if it gets so bad that it'll cost you your life? Will you acknowledge Jesus? Will you stand with Jesus? Will you plant your flag with Jesus? Will you continue to submit to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, I pray that you will. You've got every reason to. And consider yourself warned. There will be hell to pay if you don't. And I don't mean that figuratively. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, we again thank you for your word. We think that it is sufficient, and we think that it is clear. We think that it is so clear that you would be willing to tell us the type of things that we, as your disciples, are going to be prone to run into, and what might be facing us, and what we're supposed to do as those things bear down on us, and then you actually tell us the reasons why we should be faithful anyway. So, Lord, make us faithful anyway come what may. Lord, if there are any here who have never even taken that first step of taking up their cross, dying to themselves and their sin, letting go of that and taking hold of you, oh Lord, I pray that you would affect that this morning in their hearts as only you can by the work of the Holy Spirit. To the praise of your glory, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'll be at the uh, front worship with you guys. If you'd like to pray or talk about anything, I'd be happy to do that.